Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, welcome back to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Let's kick it off with a bit of gratitude. I am grateful that I am starting to recognize patterns in my life, right? Something that I teach in the NeuroChange Method is you know, beliefs, mindset, and we actually dig back into our lives and and figure out why we have these limiting beliefs, right? And typically it's because of experiences that we've had. And as I grow in my own journey, I've started to look at why I behave the way I do sometimes, you know, why I go to certain types of people when I'm not having certain needs met in my own life and I love being able to finally you know that it you clue into oh this is why I do this right and one of the patterns that I I discovered recently was that you know when I was younger um and sorry dad I know I bring you up and as as an example mom um but it's it is a great example to start off with and you know my dad used to push me harder right he'd always tell me I could do better And whereas my mom was kind of that comforter, right? She was the one that I went to when I didn't like what my dad had to say. And so she would enable my behavior. And, you know, not that it was right or wrong, but at the time that kind of taught me that if somebody was doing something I didn't like, I would just go to somebody else who would kind of enable me or co-sign my BS, right? And that happened in my addiction as well, right? My dad gave me that tough love that eventually was what would help me get sober, that tough love. That was the relationship I truly needed. But when I felt sorry for myself and I put myself in that victim mode, all of a sudden I would revert back and go to my mom because I knew my mom would comfort me, right? My mom would be on my side and I needed somebody to be on my side when I was in that, just being stuck in that victim mode. And so... Today, I noticed that there are times, not as much obviously because I've built that foundation in recovery, but there are still times where I catch myself doing that kind of behavior, right? If a need isn't being met in a certain area of my life, 
I will tend as a victim, if I stay in that victim mode for too long, I will go to those caretakers, right? The people who are going to pick up the pieces, the people that are going to help me instead of just supporting me and just being there, the people who will probably co-sign my bullshit. And I'm incredible grateful that I have enough people in my life that don't do this, but it was really interesting to really kind of dig into those patterns because as I've shared on the show before, I've been you know, working the codependency steps. And, and, you know, we were, I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about those, those steps. And it was, you know, independence, too much independence can also be a sign of codependency. So I'm incredibly grateful for the lessons that I continue to learn and the patterns that I get to see as a result of what I challenge myself to know more about. Let's get into today's show where I chat with my friend Jolene Park from Gray Area Drinking. You know, we had a fantastic conversation because, you know, I had never really heard of Gray Area Drinking up until a few months ago. And I found it really interesting because not only does Jolene share her own story and why she decided to quit drinking, but we talk about the difference between rock bottom and gray area drinking because, you know, I had a very, I was a high bottom drunk as people in recovery like to call it. And to me, that just means that moment that I stopped digging, right? But I had hit many rock bottom moments where my life had become extremely unmanageable. And, you know, obviously at the end, that bankruptcy being extremely overweight and all that stuff, being spiritually unfit, depressed, unhappily married. I mean, that was my rock bottom. And I drank like a true alcoholic, right? Once I started, I couldn't stop. I was a blackout drunk. But I think there are so many people that fall into that gray area, right? Where maybe they don't go to 12-step programs. That's They feel out of place. They feel like they can't relate. And I feel like too many people are stuck in that gray area. And, you know, they know that something's wrong. They know that they're using alcohol to cope, but they don't know what to do about it. And I think that the resources that Jolene has put in place for gray area drinking is absolutely incredible. And so we talk about the different ways and methods that she uses to help her clients overcome their drinking problems. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you think of yourself as a gray area drinker, you know, reach, I encourage you to reach out to Jolene, get the help you need. And uh, yeah, enjoy. All right. Welcome back. I am hanging out with Jolene Park today. How are you, Jolene? I'm wonderful. It's great to meet you and be here with you today. Thank you for inviting me. I can't wait for you to share your expertise because this is such a cool topic, I think, gray area drinking. So why don't you introduce yourself and just let us know what it is that you do today? Well, like you said, my name is Jolene Park. I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm a native of the state of Colorado and have been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I started my business in 2001, um, and we can go back and and talk about that piece. Um, I stopped drinking in 2014 and was teaching corporate wellness, working as a functional nutritionist, and um, drinking like, you know, most women around me drink is is how I describe it. I was, you know, out with the girls, book clubs, uh, happy hours, the, the whole thing, and there was nothing about kind of my drinking in the group that I hung out with of friends um, that, you know, stood out that I was a a problem drinker. Um, But, you know, I drank. 
and it was very easy for me to frequently have a glass. I'll screw it. I'll have another glass. I'll have another glass. And it's like, I pretty much just drank the bottle um, on, a, on a very frequent basis, how easy that, that was for me. And, um, and because of my nutrition and my wellness background, it was also very easy to say, I'm taking a 30 day, you know, break, I'm doing a paleo challenge, I'm doing a yoga training. And so nobody, it, there wasn't kind of this, like, why aren't you drinking? It's like, oh, well, that makes sense. You're doing your wellness piece. And um, so, but, uh, you know, really, like, when you lift the hood behind it, it was that silent conversation with myself saying, I can't keep drinking like this. I'm going to clean it up for 30 days, you know, under the umbrella of, of a health or wellness challenge or, or something like that. And then I'd say, well, I don't need to stop forever. Like I can be a social drinker and then I'd go back to drinking. And I did that for many, many years. And then in 2014, um, because of all the back and forth and it never changing and, and getting worse, you know, each time I'd go back to drinking, it, it I would return very quickly to where I was, that, le that amount and level and, you know, start to increase. So I uh, got to a point six and a half years ago, just saying, you know, I'm done. Like I've, I've been through the cycle enough. I've been through holidays. I've been through different situations. I, I know what I'm, you know, kind of declaring here and, and I'm committed. I, I know in my bones that I don't want to keep kind of doing, I would call it this groundhog day. And I stopped drinking and, you know, I've said off and I didn't, you know, there were no kind of traditional stopping. I didn't go to a 12 step meeting. I didn't go to a rehab center. Um, but it was pretty quiet. And, and one thing that I, I often say is I, I drank, um, you know, quietly, often on my own at night, I was home alone, open the bottle of wine, finish the bottle of wine, and nobody really knew that. And when I quit, it was also kind of a quiet process. Um, because people had seen me, you know, not drinking, I wasn't like the big party girl. And so that was also kind of under the radar and, and quiet of not drinking. And then about a year and a half into it, um, I started speaking more about it and kind of incorporating my work with the nutrition with what I know about brain chemistry and some of the physiology and um, because I was listening that there were some podcasts and people were starting to kind of talk about you know we're stopping drinking but not necessarily going to, to a 12-step like an AA and I was listening to some of those podcasts early on like in 2015 and um, saying I, you know, I love this. I love kind of this, this different way of thinking about this, but I think you're missing a piece here. You know, there's this physiological piece. And so I wrote in, I don't know if you've heard of the home podcast with Holly Whitaker and Laura McCowan. And, um, it was, they, they were very well, they were one of the first podcasts talking about this different way of, of quitting drinking. And they invited me on to their show. And I shared what I know about the physiology side, the brain chemistry side. Um, and from there, it wasn't really my intention, but it blew the doors off my coaching practice because what happened was many, many women, professional women, you know, I was talking about my entrepreneurial world, being in the corporate world, doing wellness and as a nutritionist, healthcare practitioners started coming to me, other coaches, therapists, nurses, um, and women who, you know, are also entrepreneurs who were CEOs of nonprofits, attorneys saying, I resonate with your story. Like I don't have a rock bottom. I function, you know, I get to the office every day. I get the kids off. There's like nothing kind of externally negative has happened. Um, but how you described how you drank, that's how I drink. I resonate with that story. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of people do, right? And I think that because they can't, you know, they look at other people. I did the same thing when I went into recovery is I looked at other people and thought, well, I'm not homeless. I've never gone to jail. You know, I mean, I definitely ruined my life. And I think, you know, I definitely for myself believe that I was a rock bottom drinker. But it's interesting how you talk about the 30 day breaks, right? There's also like dry January and all that stuff. I used to be a master at doing those and partaking in them. Of course, I'd have my cheat days during those 30 days. So it wasn't really a full 30 days. But I, I quickly learned that when you don't have a problem with alcohol, you don't you don't talk about it. It's not something that comes up in a conversation. Like you don't have to make yourself stop. You just don't drink when you don't feel like drinking and you have a glass of wine when you do. So that really resonated with me because when I quit or even, you know, for short periods of time, I wanted to shout it from the rooftop and let people know, hey guys, like I'm not drinking this month, right? And I think everybody for me personally, they knew that I had a problem with alcohol. So let's talk about the difference between rock bottom drinking and gray area drinking yeah so you know the, the whole kind of definition and diagnostic and labels it's it's a lot of it is very self-defined um where the actual line is from a nor a quote normal drinker a social drinker moderate drinker a gray area drinker alcohol use disorder alcoholic like there's all these uh, it's not just a, a real linear um concrete definition or diagnosis. Um, so, you know, first of all, I'd like to start with, there is no safe or recommended, you know, healthy recommended intake of alcohol. That's not my opinion. That's the, you know, from kind of the government side of things, the cancer research, it's been very clear in the US and the UK that um, from a health perspective, we know there's seven cancers connect directly connected with alcohol and, you know, that whole piece. So, so we've unfortunately, just as a culture, had this stereotype of just this extreme kind of the Hollywood movies, the, just the crash and burn kind of thing. But, you know, there's always somebody worse. So it's like there can always be that story and then somebody can, you know, one up that. So the, it's really hard to kind of, you know, Put the put the sword in the sand on and where that is. So I like to start with it's not my opinion. The data is there. There's no safe or recommended intake of alcohol. Now by saying that, I'm not saying every no one should drink alcohol. <laughs> That's you know, but just just to kind of give some parameters. Um, and the CDC does say that uh, one five ounce glass of wine and five ounces is not a lot of liquid. I I would always pour more than that, and I would um, you know, and when I'd be out. To, at the restaurant or the bartender, they pour more than that. So um, five ounces, it doesn't take much, but five ounces of wine once a day is moderate drinking. Once you go over five ounces, um, that gets into heavy risky drinking. So I just like to kind of start there, that it doesn't take much. So how how I have defined it, and I can back this up, There's there's been some research with um, the American dietary guidelines too, and they've they themselves call it this gray area, this moderate area of drinking. Um, but how, how I've always kind of termed it is there we've always looked at two buckets. So potentially, you know, there's that stereotypical, however, whatever everybody's image is of like that rock bottom end stage potentially like, you know, on a park bench, drinking out of a brown paper bag, eyes are yellow with jaundice. Like, let's just really go extreme. You know, there, there's that bucket. Then there's this other bucket of that's also very, you know, the 
swinging to the other extreme of every now and again. And every now and again is literally like um, might have a, a small glass of champagne to toast the new year and then not think about it again. It's not, it's just not um, when there's an, an event or an emotion that person doesn't, um, their go-to is an alcohol. Maybe four months later, they have dinner with friends and they're like, oh, sure, I'll order a glass of wine. Like that's every now and again, where you could, they could probably count on one hand over the course of a year that they had, you know, three to five drinks over 12 months. So both of those are very extreme. Um, but what, you know, the reality is then between those two extremes of kind of normal every now and again, or I don't even want to say normal, every now and again in end stage is this whole area that we've just never put a voice to. And, um, you know, it's called the, the gray area. And, it, you know, I guess another piece that I would put on to define that is um, gray area drinkers, they can and they do stop drinking often. And, you know, I did it for years and many of my clients, it's that that's very characteristic. It's so it's not a problem for gray area drinkers to stop drinking farther down the spectrum. It can be harder to physically stop um, where there's actual physical symptoms and then needing that medical support. So that is not gray area drinking. Gray area drinkers can and stop drinking, um, but they have a hard time staying stopped. So it's that. But I'm not that bad. And spouses and partners will say that. And family and friends, they're like, you're just worrying too much, like just live a little. It's um, so you hear a lot of that. It's like, but there, you can always find people who um, drink more. And it's like, but I, you know, my clients tell me all the time, they're like, I function. I'm like, that's a good thing. You don't want to not function. So gray area drinkers, well, they can stop. They do stop. It's just hard staying stopped. Um, they don't have physical symptoms, but what they do have is that small, you know, silent voice inside that when they wake up at three in the morning after drinking more than they wanted to yet again, um, feeling the, the heart palpitations, you know, the sweating, nausea, and then silently saying to themselves, I'm not going to do this again. And the next night they do it again. Or So it's that it's that cycle, yet there often isn't kind of external proof or circumstances saying, oh, we can point the finger. That's problem drinking. Absolutely. And I, I was just, you know, what came to mind when you're talking about the five ounces in a glass of wine. I remember after I had stopped drinking, I would go out for dinner with people and I, you know, I surround myself with a lot of people who aren't problem drinkers or alcoholics and they would literally drink half their glass of wine. And I, the whole, it bothered me. Like I would sit and look at their glass going, are you not going to finish that? And I would actually ask friends, I'm like, okay, how is it that you order a glass of wine, which is not cheap these days, and you're only drinking half of it? They say, well, I don't feel like it. And I'm like, wow. And I was, it clicked, right? Like for me, that made absolutely no sense. I'm like, you have to finish that glass or that bottle. Like, this is just insane. So at what point in your life did you realize that you were a gray area drinker and you had to stop? I think I knew pretty early on drinking um, from the very beginning that this probably wasn't working for me. <laughs> so I didn't drink early on. I, I didn't, my story isn't, uh, you know, I didn't start drinking at like 12 or 14 and then high school and even college. When I started drinking was in my late twenties. Um, and so earlier on, what I used was sugar and food. And I always ask clients that because I do have um, clients who come in with the same story. They weren't big drinkers in high school or college. Not every, 
you know, gray area drinkers have all different stories, but, but what I'll say is what, how, if you weren't drinking those first 20, 30 years, what did you use to cope? Cause that's always really interesting to me with the work I do with the nervous system. But so early on for me, it was more food and sugar. And then in my late twenties, I, um, and I, cause I didn't want to lose control. Like I didn't, I always wanted to, I, I mean, that was part of my story is the anxiety. I was very hypervigilant and I was kind of scared of being drugged. And so I wanted to stay, you know, hypervigilant. And then um, I went through a breakup when I was about 28 and was just on my knees, just emotionally grief stricken over it, um, over that loss and had some wine in my apartment. Like I'd gotten it at a work conference and was using it as decoration on the kitchen counter because I had no interest in drinking it. And I very vividly remember opening. I'm like, screw it. I, I'm just going to drink this wine. That's what people do. They're having a hard day. I'm having a hard day. I'm going to open the wine and, um, and I liked it. Like I'd had alcohol before. It wasn't that I hadn't had it, but there was a different kind of in that moment, it was like, Oh, my really grief stricken, anxious brain just calmed down. And this feels good. And I poured more and I poured more and I drank most of, of that bottle. And, um, and then it was just kind of like, what have I been doing with sugar all along? Like, this is an immediate, you know, alcohol is amazing. What have I been doing? And just kind of, you know, there was something that knew I probably shouldn't have drank most of that bottle in that first sitting by myself. Um, but it just, it was like, well, this is a great way at the end of the week. And that's kind of how it was, you know, initially, I didn't drink every day. Um, at the end, I certainly was. But uh, at the end of the week, there's just been a lot of outward energy, the pressure of, I was going to school and working and I, I'm looking forward to that bottle of wine. So it's, you know, if really from the beginning, I pretty much knew. Yeah. And now I want to get into, you know, hiding our emotions, because I think that's something that I did. I believe that I drank because of my inability to handle my emotions in the first place. And that's now also why I eat, you know, with the sugar that you mentioned. That's a big thing for me over the last nine years. It's been something that I've really been working on. But, you know, when you became alcohol free, what did that first part of your own journey look like? Well, I went back to my roots, which is the functional nutrition and what I know about neurotransmitters and brain chemistry. So throughout all this, I was always working in wellness. I was teaching corporate wellness classes since 2004, um, traveling around the country, doing on-site, uh, you know, on-site uh, workshops, and then also seeing people one-on-one. -on -one. And so I was studying functional medicine. I loved it. I am still do. I'm passionate about that area of study. And in 2006, I learned about neurotransmitters. I didn't start or I didn't stop drinking until 2014, but I knew about that. And I was even teaching it. And, and I knew for myself that my GABA was low, which is uh, with my history of anxiety, it makes perfect sense. GABA is the neurotransmitter. It's the brakes on the nervous system. When we have optimal GABA, we feel relaxed. Um, we, you know, we have lower levels of anxiety. And so I knew that I was using alcohol to give kind of that pseudo effect of, of a boosted GABA. It was false positive. It would just make my GABA go lower Then I'd want more alcohol. And it was just a, that cycle. So when I stopped drinking, that's what I went to was the, the physical piece, the nutrients, the nutrient repair, um, to, you know, I'm not using alcohol, which wasn't working anyway to boost GABA, but I knew what to use to boost GABA. So I was very directive with that, very intentional with some nutrients, with some supplements, um, with some different practices. I brought in the somatic work 
pretty soon thereafter. So my, my training and work has always been the physiology as a nutritionist. Um, and that's what I went to was the physiology because I was using alcohol to alter my physiology. So I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to do this anymore, I've got to repair, replenish and rewire my physiology. And I really just kind of started putting together, you know, a bit of a protocol for myself, which now ultimately I work with, you know, people one-on-one -on -one with, and I train other coaches how to do that. Wow. I, and I want to get into all that and the techniques that you use as well, but, you know, coming back to kind of using drinking or food to hide our emotions. Can you get into that a little bit more? Because that's something that I find that a lot of people I talk to that are alcohol free now, they turn to sugar obviously to replace the sugar in alcohol, but it seems to be a constant struggle, right? I mean, you're giving up one thing and you're replacing it for something else, but can you kind of get a little bit more into what you know about that and the science of it? Yeah, I think it's twofold. So there's there's the biochemical side of it with hypoglycemia and low blood sugar and neurotransmitters. And when those things are depleted and deficient, we're going to crave sugar. And there's the, the somatic um, trauma side to it, the emotional side, that fight, flee, or freeze response in our nervous system. And I see it, I know it's in my story. And with every client that I've worked with, I've worked with hundreds um, that there's often a, a critical, um, critical may not be the word, a pivotal point um, of, of a heightened emotion. And we all have emotions, like this is no shame, no blame. Um, but I, you can see it in stories. So for me, it was that breakup and um, was so devastated emotionally and grief stricken. And so in, you know, my chemistry, my cortisol was already up. My neurotransmitters were, you know, coming down, just processing that grief. There, there's a chemical reaction that happens in the body when we're in grief and loss. And then when I put alcohol on top of that, it lights up like a Christmas tree. And it's like, oh, this connects. Like, I want more of this. And I see that in, in client stories. So sometimes the loss is the loss of a dream. You know, I, like I had a client who was on track for a professional baseball and got injured in college. And that's where um, the drugs and alcohol really amped up. So there was this dream that, you know, was the focus for many, many years. And all of a sudden it's lost. It could be the loss of a child, a miscarriage, loss of a relationship, the death, you know, of a parent. And we all have this stuff. So it's not like anybody's sliding by and getting away with it. And we can look at how, you know, everybody drinks and uses sugar. Um, we're all medicating and trying to regulate. But I, I find from the emotional standpoint, I, it's always there. And Gabra Mate, I don't, do you know who Gab, do you know Gabra Mate? You know, he'll say, it's not, it's not why the addiction it's, it's why the pain, like what's the pain that's, that's behind it. And it's, I, you know, again, it's that emotional loss or grief. Um, you know, when I really started diving into my beliefs, it was amazing the little things that, you know, my dad, for example, would tell me that, you know, he was pushed very hard when he was young and he was told that he wasn't smart and all this kind of stuff. And he believed that growing up, right? So for us, he compensated and said, you can do better, you can do better, right? So I was always seeking that outside validation and recognition. And I never realized how much that would carry over into my adult life. And I think that, you know, for me drinking, it's almost like it gave me that release that I didn't have to care anymore, right? And I'd kind of just buried it in my subconscious for so long. 
and I never realized, you know, we talk about that today is the things that, you know, parents can say to their kids that can actually, even if it's so unintentional, it can actually have an impact of how they think and what they believe in the future. So, you know, you provide a new approach to use nutrition, somatic techniques and neuroscience to stop drinking and stay stopped. Can you get in a little bit more detail about exactly what you do to help people? Absolutely. And I want to just pick up what you just said um, about kind of that early adversity, which which I'm very interested in the ACE study, um, the adverse childhood experience study. And and it's, you know, around adversity. So it doesn't always have to be violence or abuse. It, it can just it's not always what happened, but it can be what didn't happen. And you know, so many of my clients and, and who are drawn to my work identify as, as high achieving professionals. You know, they their uh, life resumes, their professional resumes are, are very impressive. They know how to achieve. And as entrepreneurs, we know how to achieve and push and produce. Um, and but behind it is often some adversity, some um, feeling of, you know, we don't we have to just kind of push through and shoulder through because somebody may not necessarily have our back or we need to do more in order to be enough and so there's all those dynamics and and what that does then is it hyper regulates the nervous system no shame no blame but our nervous system um, is always taking cues from the environment. And so if the environment is you need to do more and it's not enough and, um, you know, in order to be seen or to be really loved or, you know, all that kind of stuff, you've got to achieve that we're, the on switch is always on. And I identify with that very much. And the anxiety was always on for me because it was hard to just rest. And so when we drink, it's like what you just described. It's like it just kind of shuts down the brain and, and it's a very welcome relief to high achievers who are functioning. I mean, you know, some of that can really serve us, but behind it is, can also be um, the pain and the hurt and the, you know, we can, what are we ultimately chasing? And, um, and so getting back then to the nervous system, kind of how I work with that is studying, you know, I, it's been very helpful to learn about that, um, that sympathetic kind of switch in the body um, that's always on that's in either it's ready to fight or it's ready to, to flee and, and run. And so many clients will say, and this was me too, at the end of the day, it wasn't like it was a bad day or something bad, you know, that it was like always a grief filled day. Like it could have been a really, you know, good day performance wise with work, but I now, I, you know, I want to come down. I want the reward I want. So it's, it's bringing kind of the system out of, um, uh, Deb Dana is one who talks about the polyvagal nerve. And so she says there's this home away from home. So we all have that natural innate home in our nervous system, which is that connected, um, kind of grounded, open, receptive, uh, settled place in the nervous system. But most of us don't, you know, we're, it's not a real, you know, comfortable place we're in a lot. So we have this other home that we're more comfortable with. And for some people, it's that sympathetic place where they're always in kind of a flea mode. They've always got to kind of move and, and it's hard to stop. Um, but for others, a comfortable place can be the immobilized um, place where they, it's just kind of more of a, a collapse. I mean, they're still living their life and doing their stuff, but um, 
a little more numb or kind of when you say, how do you feel? It's like, I have no idea how I feel. Kind of this disassociated place. And then alcohol also can feel really good because then people can be like, oh, I can kind of like, I feel more uninhibited and like um, I can, you know, come out of myself a bit because I've been a little bit more numb trying to protect. So, so knowing those different nervous system states, there's exercises and practices that I work with, um, but also nutrients. So giving the brain and the gut, because the brain and the gut are very connected, um, nutrients can be a great place to start to kind of bring some of those depletions back online and come back to a little bit of that home base, um, which is what we're ultimately seeking when we use substances like alcohol or sugar or workaholism or whatever. Oh, workaholism. I could totally rate to, relate to that and the overachiever because that's something that I've always been like, I always had to be the best. I always, you know, and I never felt like I was, even if I did well, I always felt like it wasn't good enough, right? And I recognize now that that came from early on, but even going into um, entrepreneurship, I, you know, started working off 16 hours a day. I couldn't stop, my brain couldn't turn off and I just wanna go, 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 go right and then I would emotionally eat right because I didn't have that alcohol anymore and so I would start to self-soothe with food so now I'm actually learning about more intuitive eating and you know adding to that and what's good for my body but let's talk about entrepreneurship for a minute because I think that the area that you're in is super super amazing um, but you know becoming an entrepreneur and, and I know you already I believe had your business going but what did early entrepreneurship mean to you? Well, I've been an I started my company in 2001, so I've absolutely ridden the wave, and entrepreneurship is a wave to, to ride. There's the peaks, and then you get smashed into the waves, and you got to, you know, find your board again, get back up. Um, so, I, you know, I've, I've ridden that cycle, um, and I increasingly drank more and more as, as time went on. Um, you know, with that, with starting my business, because there's a lot of entrepreneurship can be lonely, um, doing, you know, pushing through and um, anxiety ridden. And just there's a lot to hold. There's a lot to there's a lot of responsibility. Um, and I also, you know, wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I love running my own business and being my, you know, being an entrepreneur. But um, but a lot of the feelings that you and I are talking about right now come with entrepreneurship. And so if there isn't a, if we haven't been taught or shown how to discharge that and, um, and regulate ourselves without, you know, kind of a, a medicating mechanism, many, many entrepreneurs use substances addictively. Oh, totally. And, you know, for me, it's food now. So how would you recommend if you were to give somebody who is starting out as an entrepreneur, you know, we have people that listen to the show that are either a little bit into their journey or maybe they're thinking about it. What are like the three biggest tips you could give to somebody who are who who are basically dealing with these emotions and and just to prepare them for like the peaks and valleys that they're going to experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I having having some some support is having a mentor, having a coach who's been through it um, ahead of you has been very, very helpful to me. And from the nervous system standpoint, we're social beings. Um, it's that mirror neuron piece. Our nervous systems co-regulate with other nervous systems. 
So if we have another nervous system who um, can have that supportive kind of grounded piece of like, I gotcha, you know, here's the, this is not a problem. I've been through this. And then our nervous system can, can start to co-regulate. So communities, mentors, which isn't always easy. Um, it can be a needle in a haystack to find that right match because everybody can hang a shingle and say that they're you know, a mentor for entrepreneurs or whatever. And it could it could actually make things worse, uh, admittedly. So so it's finding the right match, but having that right match can be huge for, to help your nervous system regulate. And because we need modeling for that. So, you know, that's that's the first thing I'm really you know, they'll say the opposite of addiction is connection in that community piece. And then I'll talk about kind of a biochemical side and a somatic side. So a biochemical side, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sugar, whether it's just working 16 hours a day, um, I like to try to add things in as much as possible versus take stuff away. Because we generally with, you know, this conversation, anything around health and, and this type of thing, people are so used to can't have, take away, have to stop something. And psychologically, that just doesn't go very far. So I like to, what can we add in? Um, protein is, is a really great piece. And not just because I say so. And different people have different preferences. Some people like animal protein, which is fine. Some people like uh, more of a vegeta vegetarian source, which is also fine. But the benefit of protein when our brain is actively working and processing and achieving is we're breaking down, rebuilding, breaking down, rebuilding. So we need the amino acids from the protein to rebuild our organs, our muscles. We need it to build neurotransmitters. Um, and when we're more squeezed, more stressed, potentially not sleeping as as much, we need you know protein, amino acids to to support the brain. And I you know the other thing I'd throw in biochemically is hydration. It it's huge, keeping the body hydrated. I know people have heard this like I'm not <laughs> everybody knows about drink water and eat protein. But here's what I would say to it because I know it can go in one ear and out the other and be like yeah 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 like I want the shiny you know fun stuff. What I would say is don't take my word for it. And this is the somatic stuff. Try it like a very intentional try of have some protein each time you eat to, you know, for the next seven days and be very intentional about it because we can be very in our head and we consume all the information, which makes us exhausted, which makes us, we want the off switch, but with some information, actually try it. And then no, this is the neuroscience. Notice what happens next. So when you eat some protein, when you wake up midday, end of the day, like do it as a little, you know, science experiment, little curiosity experiment, and then really notice. And it honestly can be pretty profound. I've worked with clients for years and years where they'll be like, I'm having protein first thing in the morning and I like, I feel better. And it's not me saying you go eat protein because I'm telling, I'm like, you know, like the parent but they're eating protein and then having this direct effect and response saying, maybe it's subjective. I don't know. Maybe it's in my head, but I feel better. And it's like, no, you're, when you can experience it, that's that somatic experiencing piece. And so that's the other part of this work is um, I've mentioned, you know, somatic a couple of times. Soma means body and it actually is called somatic experiencing therapy, somatic experiencing work. So it's experiencing the body. And just a quick little, there's many, many exercises around the polyvagal, around the somatic work, but, but just one kind of foundational piece is grounding. 
because when we eat sugar and food or drink alcohol, we're not grounded. We're up in our head, all the energies, you know, up here and it's not in our body. And when we have a drink or eat some cookies, there's a, there's a physiological effect where it feels like things slow down a bit and the mind slows down a bit and we feel a little bit more like anchored, which feels good. And that's what we're using those substances for. And so there's ways to ground the body and literally go stand on the earth or sit on the earth, the grass, the sand, the dirt. And it's just like with protein and hydration. Don't take my word for it. Like, go do it. If you're listening to this, go right now and, and do it. Or, you know, later today when you have a minute and notice what happens next. Now, just because, you know, I suggested it, there's three things that can happen. Some people can do these things and be like, I'm, I'm a little blown away right now because this helped. There can be another group that can say, I didn't really notice one thing one way or the other. Like, I still feel the same. And then there can be a third group that's like, well, I really hated that. <laughs> and and none, of the, none of them are wrong. It's just we all have different biochemical individuality. We have different constitutions. And so we're we want to just find that customized match for ourselves of what best suits our biochemistry and body right now. And the only way to know that is not to read about it and talk about it and think about it, <laughs> but to do it and run it through your body and then see what response your body gives us. And if the response is, I hated that, that's really good data because then we can, it helps us then hone in even more of like, okay, knowing that your body didn't like this, now there's this, which is a little different, but that's how we start to customize to start to regulate the system again. Oh, I love that. I actually want to go outside after this and go and do that because, you know, I will get stuck in my head if I stay doing what I'm doing for too long. Sometimes it helps me just to go outside. So, you know, is that, how does that look in terms of, do you go out there and you just practice being mindful or do you literally just go outside, stand on the grass or stand wherever and just, you know, kind of take in how you feel? Because a lot of people, when, you know, I talk about mindfulness and meditation, because we know that that's really healthy for the brain, people are like, well, I can't meditate. You know, I just, I can't sit in silence or, or anything like that. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, most people have a very difficult time meditating. And the reason is, is because we're not grounded and anchored in our body. Um, we're not oriented in present time with the five senses and we're not centered kind of in, in our system. So it's very, you know, meditate, it's very hard to come out of our head and just stop and meditate. So first thing I would recommend, there's a documentary on YouTube, it's free. It's called Earthing the Science of Grounding or Grounding the Science of Earthing, one way or the other. But it's very, it's very motivating for anybody listening. Um, if you're interested in grounding or just hearing about this, it's kind of peaking your antenna and you're like, oh, I, you know, I haven't really heard this, but I'm, it's, I'm curious. That documentary with, uh, I give it to a lot of my clients and it's very motivating then because you're like, yeah, whatever, like go stand on grass, really? <laughs> so watch that documentary, first suggestion, that'll really help. And then the second suggestion is I can just, you know, talk you through really quickly as you're seated here right now. And again, wherever you're listening, like even if you're driving in, in the car, um, maybe listening to the podcast, it doesn't matter, but some part of our body is always touching the ground at any time. So if you can bring your mental attention to the bottom of your feet as they're on the ground, even if you have shoes on, that's fine. But just notice that sensation of the surface. Like right now there's carpet under my feet. And so the surface of carpet 
feels different than sand on the beach. And sand on the beach feels different than grass. So whatever your feet are on right now, if it's the floorboard of the car, let your mental energy go down to the bottom of your foot and just really notice that sensation. And notice if there's some tingling or not. Notice if there's like a temperature shift, if one part of your foot feels more warm or cool. And then notice if you're clenching, like, can you really spread out all your toes and let every part of your foot, the arch of your foot, your heel, your toes equally connect with the ground. And tomorrow I'm curious what you're noticing as you're doing that right now. It, it feels amazing. I feel actually my right foot is a little cooler than my left foot is. And I'm on carpet as well, wearing bare feet. And I notice there's a bit of that tingle going on and I can really feel, um, cause it's textured. I can feel the, the texture in it, but I, I definitely notice like the right side is cooler than the left foot is. It's a really neat experience. Yeah. It is, it's, it's neat to notice your body. And so to your question, like when you go outside and stand on the grass, you're kind of like, well, what do I do? Do that. Notice the sensation and how your foot is you know, touching the grass. And then um, you can bring in other senses. So that's the touch sense, touching the ground. And then notice what you hear as you stand out on the grass, what sounds you hear. Notice if you smell there's any scent outside and there may, you may or may not hear anything or smell anything, but just notice and then look around and really notice what you see, like look to the right and the left and you can, you know, do it now too, but outside in nature, like really notice three very specific colors. And then the fifth sense is taste. So maybe you've had something recently to eat or drink, or um, like if you're out at the ocean, it might, like the sea air kind of, taste the salt. So it's, it's feeling that grounding in your body and then starting to notice the five senses. Um, and these things can be done anywhere, anytime. It sounds simplistic, but these, and there's so many of these different, you know, practices and pieces, but these little pieces are what help clients so much start to very slowly, incrementally regulate in a way that they've been searching for using the alcohol and the sugar. That is incredible. Thank you so much. I'm actually going to go outside and do this. I'll probably make it, you know, I, I really like what you said about try it, right? Don't take my word for it. I will read a lot and I'll take things out of everything I read and I actually try it and I share it on this show. My experience, right? I'm sharing about the intuitive eating part right now and really sensing what my body needs and when it needs it. So I love that advice is just try it, you know, see how your body feels. Now, if people want to learn more about what, what you do and want to work with you, how can they get in touch with you? So all my info is on my website, grayareadrinkers.com. I work one-on-one -on -one with folks. I have a 30-day self-paced program called The Sober Choice for those who are on that gray area drinking merry-go-round and just want some kind of do-it-yourself um, resources, like some that I've shared here. And then I also train coaches and healthcare practitioners on the Nourish Method, 
So how to then work with their clients on, on these different tactics and, and exercises and pieces. So amazing, Jolene. Thank you so much for being on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom today. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, if you think you might be a gray area drinker, then make sure you reach out to Jolene and her team. They do some amazing work. I hope in the future to also become a gray area drinking coach because I think that there's a lot of people who fall into that window, right? Where they they can't relate to being homeless or institutionalized or anything like that. And so they don't quit. But the reality is their life does become unmanageable still. They just don't consider themselves to be that rock bottom, low bottom drunk. So get the help you need. Reach out. There will be links in the show notes. And, you know, guys, when it comes down to implementing something new, it's typically our mindset that can often set us apart. It's our ability to learn from our mistakes and not give up when the going gets tough. I know for me personally, when it's come down to things, it's typically my mindset that will get me heading in the right, the wrong direction and the right direction for that matter. But, you know, generally when my mindset isn't right, that's when things start to go wrong. So I want to help you with this. Now, do you have a growth mindset or do you have a fixed mindset? And do you want to find out? If you do, head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash mindset audit. This is going to give you a little quiz to determine, first of all, whether you have a growth or a fixed mindset. And then we're going to get into a little bit of a deeper discussion and find out what's holding you back so we can help you get started in the right direction and get you from where you are to where it is you want to be. These are absolutely free. So head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash mindset audit and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.